We've been dealing with hindrances to successful prayer and successful praying. And we've been dealing with the enemies of a successful prayer life. And this evening, we're going to deal with one of the, the, the most important and problematic enemies of a successful prayer life, and that is wrong confession. One of the greatest hindrances to faith, one of the greatest hindrances to a successful prayer life, one of the greatest hindrances to walking in God's best and his blessings is a negative confession. Now, I know we're all here at Faith Christian Center, and we'd like to believe that simply because we're here at Faith Christian Center and a part of Faith Christian Center, and you could say, well, I've been a member since 2000, whichever, and you know, I could say I've been a member since 1984, but just because we're here, and just because we're a part, and just because we're members of Faith Christian Center doesn't mean, by default, we're positive, or that we speak words of faith, or that we say what the Word of God says in any given situation. And so there are times where we have to, we've got to focus, got to batten down the hatches, renew our minds once again to the Word of God on certain basic issues. In the Sunday morning message, I believe two Sundays ago, Pastor and I both had in the notes that when we miss it and we're defeated, it's not on deep, mysterious, complicated issues, but it's on the basic issues. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said it is the little foxes that spoil the vine. And a basic, basic issue is confession and our saying what the Word of God says. Now, when I was a little guy growing up in children's church or when we would hear Willie George or Nicodemus or when Charles Caps would come and teach on confession, you know, at that era, we would talk about, well, maybe tying a tape recorder around your neck, listening to yourself. You might not even know what a tape recorder is, but we've got these phones, we've got this technology, we could record ourselves if we wanted to. And you, you may think you're positive, but are you? Now, if you're married, you could just ask your spouse. Now, you may not want to because you may not like the answer that you're going to hear. And that's why growing up in children's church, they would tell us that we could positively and nicely and respectfully help our parents with their confession. A married couple can help each other. But a huge enemy of successful prayer and answered prayer and God's best is a wrong confession. Our faith, Christianity, is the great confession. Romans 10, beginning in verse 9, the Apostle Paul wrote, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So how are we saved? How are we born again? How do we enter into the family of God? How is the real you on the inside, your spirit, how is your spirit changed and born again and brought into the kingdom of God? It's by our confession. We confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart. Sunday I was asked by someone new about basic, basic things and I explained that when a child is born, we might dedicate that child 
to the Lord and pray God's favor, God's blessing, God's protection upon that child. But unlike certain groups, we do not baptize infants because an infant being baptized is not what saves that infant. It's not what saves that child. It's not what makes them born again. They have to be of age to confess with their mouth and to believe in their heart. I mentioned just because you're a part of FCC doesn't mean you're positive. Well, just because you're a part of Faith Christian Center or you were born in church and grew up in church, that doesn't mean you're saved. You could be lost and on your way to hell. One of the greatest preachers who ever lived, John Wesley, had an amazing story of conversion. He was actually a young man on his way to the New World to be a pastor in Georgia. So he was crossing the Atlantic, which in that era was dangerous and hard and difficult, and there were storms at sea, and it was so bad he thought they were going to sink. And so he was, I'm sure people were scared and throwing up and all kinds of things. He was a young man. That was his first time crossing the Atlantic. He thought he was going to die. But there were people on that boat that were completely at peace. No anxiety, no worry. Well, they were Moravians who emphasized genuinely knowing the Lord and genuinely living the Christian life. And so he happened to talk to a Moravian minister who in our language today basically asked him, well, young man, do you know the Lord? Have you been born again? So he went to school, prepared for ministry, was traveling to Georgia to be a pastor, and he was not born again. And so he, those were seeds sown, wasn't saved at that point, went to Georgia, failed as a young pastor. There was a young lady in the colony that he had his eye on. Apparently she didn't like him. And so she uh, married, she got engaged to someone else. So as the pastor, he denied her communion, which the community didn't like. They ran him out of there. So he went back home to England as a failure. And later, going to a street meeting, he was saved. And he described it as his heart being strangely warmed. But again, how is a man or woman saved, whether it's a teenage boy or girl or someone in their 20s or someone in their 50s? We confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart. We're born again. As Jesus told Nicodemus, we become a part of the family of God. But it is by our confession. And so you have to say something. And I, I don't see why anyone has a problem with this. We say all kinds of things. You know, we, we say the Cowboys are going to win. Which, you know, the Rangers have done a whole lot better and the Cowboys have done better and all things are possible. Amen. We say all kinds of things. Well, why not say the things of God? And why not say what the Word of God says? Now, when we talk about confession, if you come from a Roman Catholic background, when you hear me say confession, you might automatically think of confessing sin or confessing your sins to, to a man. And two Sundays ago, we dealt with forgiveness and healing and hindrances to healing, and part of that is us not having an unforgiving spirit and forgiving others, and if we've done wrong, asking the Lord's forgiveness, if we have wronged someone, asking their forgiveness, 
And Pastor clarified that that doesn't mean that we get on Facebook and we make a list of our wrongs or put it in writing and do all that. But if you have, again, done something wrong to someone, it is right and appropriate to ask their forgiveness. The problem with what goes on in Roman Catholicism is that when people confess their sins to a man, it gives that man, it gives the institution great power over that person and over people. And it's wicked and it's corrupt and it's out of line with scripture. So yes, when you sin, we are to confess our sins to God as 1 John 1 verse 9 teaches. When we wrong others, we're to make it right, amen. But here, we're not talking about that kind of confession. We're talking about our saying what the word says. And in terms of our salvation, we confess, we declare that Jesus, according to the word of God, that Jesus died for our sins, that he has risen from the dead, that he's alive, that he is alive in us. We confess that in our lives, Jesus is Lord. And so a man or woman has to confess Jesus as the Lord and the Savior of their life. And that's why when someone is baptized rightly, biblically, in the New Testament manner, it is a public profession of the fact that they have already been born again, that the old man, the old woman has been buried with Christ, and they have been raised to new life in Christ. Now, in the early church, second and third century, confession was an important part even of baptism. And so in the second and third century, when someone was born again and became a part of the church community and went through the process of discipleship, when it came time for them to be baptized, they, they would have them recite and affirm certain things before they could be baptized. And if they couldn't, they wouldn't be baptized. And we'll get to that in Hebrews here in a moment, that our confession, our profession is our, our saying the same thing are being in agreement with God and being in agreement with his word. And I know we live in a time and a society and age where, you know, as the Bible says, the, day, the days of the judges, everyone is right in their own mind. That's why there's a whole lot of craziness out there, a whole lot of insanity. But that is the complete and total opposite of righteousness, godliness, the word of God, and the Christian faith. Because our right standing is based on our homologia, our saying the same thing that God says, and our being in agreement with God, and our being in agreement with his word. You have to say something. Paul tells us it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So there is no salvation without confession. Jesus is the author and the high priest of our profession. Look at Hebrews 3 and verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers who share and the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. Now, Hebrews uses the word confess and profess interchangeably, but in all the references in Hebrews that we're going to look at here tonight in the next 10 minutes or so, the, the word is the same, homologia, to say the same thing, to, to be in agreement with God, to be in agreement with his word, to say what God says, to say the same thing. Not Austin's opinions, theories, ideas. Not, well, I think. To be in agreement. To be in agreement with God. To be in agreement with his word. To say the same thing. Our Christian faith is our confession. And that's why Jesus taught something very hard and difficult in Matthew 10, beginning in verse 32. 
Our Christian faith is our confession, and this is why we must be willing and unashamed to confess Christ before wicked men. You know, again, we live in a time, there's all this craziness, and people are proud of all kinds of evil and wicked things, and this culture celebrates all kinds of evil and wicked things, and they've got days and months now dedicated to all kinds of evil and wicked things. We ought not be ashamed of God. We ought not be ashamed of his word. We ought not be ashamed of living for Christ, doing what's right, being light in darkness, being salt in this wicked world. Now, Jesus taught that if we, we lose our saltiness, where we are no good, and we are no good to the kingdom. So this is why we have to be willing and unashamed to confess Christ before men. Matthew 10, beginning verse 32, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. And he, he went on to teach that there will be those who, to whom he says, away from me, I, depart from me, I never knew you, you evil doers. So our confession has everything to do with our salvation. And this helps us to understand how important our confession is. Hebrews 4 and verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. And again, the word is homologia, to literally say the same thing. You know, in the last few weeks, famous minister from the 80s and 90s past who denied the faith, who denied orthodoxy, who denied everything that was right and true to such a degree that one of the oldest Pentecostal denominations in America, basically the way it was done more than a thousand years ago, and this is more than a decade ago, they they put him on trial, even though he didn't show up, and proclaimed that he was a heretic by every definition. Yet, despite his denial of everything we know to be true and orthodox, right belief, the past few weeks, young minister my age stood in a church in the Bible Belt and said that man was in heaven. Our confession is not me just saying whatever I want to say. Our confession is not Austin's bright ideas or this thing in this current culture of, well, let, let's see what everybody thinks today, Amen. which is changing on a daily basis. Amen. You know, what, what is okay with the culture today? Our confession is our being in agreement with God, being in agreement with his word. Confession is made unto salvation, and if we're unwilling to confess the same thing before men, Jesus tells us plainly that he will deny us before the Father. So this is a serious, serious business. Let us hold firmly. Well, why would the author of Hebrews say we've got to hold firmly if there wasn't going to be pressure to not hold firmly? If there was not going to be pressure to compromise and to conform and to change and to say things contrary to the word of God. 
Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Literally, let us hold firmly to the faith in which we say the same thing. And what same thing do we declare? What God says, what his word says. So stop trying to get God to agree with you. You know, uh, there, there are times where uh, there's a difference of opinion between uh, me and my father. I've learned. I'm not going to convince him. I just got to kind of get in line. And I've learned, Jessica and I, best thing to do is say, you know what, you're right. Well, those are imperfect human beings. But if you're frustrated in prayer and you're frustrated in a lack of answers to your praying. And if you're frustrated in living the Christian life, have you considered that you need to stop trying to get God to agree with you? Let's use a word from 2023. And your lifestyle, whatever that may be, and instead, why don't you get into agreement with God? Amen. And why don't you get into agreement with his word? Stop trying to get God to agree with you. Stop trying to get God to change, to line up with you and your life and your lifestyle, whatever that may be. Instead, why don't you try and line your life up with the word of God? Amen. And that's where the victory is. And that's where the answer to prayer is. And that's where the blessing and the favor and the hand of God is. What can Jesus say amen to? To, to say amen, it means so be it, but it also means to be in agreement. What can he say amen to? Well, only when we stand with him and only when we stand with his word and only when we, we say what his word says. And this has everything to do with answers to prayer. How can he be in agreement when we're, we're saying things and confessing things and praying things that are contrary to his word? Hebrews 10, verse 23, let us hold fast the profession. Again, our homologia are saying the same thing. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. So the same thing we declare is what the word says. You know, if you're new to the church and go to the cafe and look at the resources by pastor on prayer, whether it's the book of prayer or the confession booklet, you might say, well, golly, this is just scripture or scripture personalized, or I Googled this part of it, and it took me to this place in the Bible or that place in the Bible. Well, again, that, that's where the power is. Amen. That's where the effective praying is in our saying or confessing or praying what the Word says, in our confessing, our saying, or our praying what the Word of God says. Let us hold fast to our profession, our saying the same thing without wavering. For he that is, he is faithful that promise. So Jesus can say amen when we say what he says. He can say amen when we say what his word says. And I know people always want to invent a Jesus of their own making, but he is the word made flesh. And you can't separate him from his word. Jesus cannot agree with our doubt or our negativity our unbelief. Jesus cannot say amen to our saying things that are contrary to his word. So what do we say? What do we confess? What do we pray? What the word says. That's the best thing to confess. That's the best thing to pray.
That's the best thing to say. And so this is why we teach that when there is a need or a problem or a circumstance in your life, to find two or three scriptures that cover your situation, to not try and get God to get in agreement with you, find two or three scriptures that cover your need, your problem, your circumstance, your situation. Don't try and get God to get in agreement with you. You get into agreement with God. You get into agreement with the word of God. You know, so many Christians, they, they, they think they're spiritual or super spiritual because they pray the prayer of consecration every prayer, if it be thy will. That's nonsense. But his will is his word, and that ought to be our attitude. Amen. May your word be done in every area of my life. Amen. May your word be done in my marriage. May your word be done in my family. May your word be done in my children's lives. May your word be done in my finances. Amen. So find two or three scriptures that cover your situation. Get into agreement with God. Get into agreement with his word. Then pray the appropriate prayer. Not every year, but some of the years during the Holy Week Revival, the day sessions on prayer, we walk through the various types of prayer. Kenneth Hagin Sr. has a wonderful book that deals with that. It's called The Art of Prayer. There are various types of prayer, and you have to use the appropriate type of prayer given the situation. The Lord's, the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus prayed, if it be thy will, that is the prayer of consecration. And there are times in life when it is appropriate to pray the prayer of consecration. But you don't need to pray the prayer of consecration about getting up and going to work tomorrow. Amen. The Lord wills it. Just do it. Yes. Oh, Lord. You know, we think we're so spiritual. Lord, if it be thy will, let me wake up tomorrow. If it be thy will, let me go to work. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. And it may make us feel good. It may... Make us feel like we're, we're impressing others. But that's an abuse of that prayer. It's an abuse of that prayer. So you have to pray the appropriate prayer given the situation. And so, again, the Art of Prayer by Kenneth Hagin Sr., when we've taught on that, the Holy Week Revival, it'll help you. You have to pray the appropriate prayer and then pray in line with the Word of God. And then from that point forward, in faith, believe you receive and confess in faith that it's done. Thank God that it is done. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast. The profession are saying the same thing without wavering. So what is our confession? That God is our Father. We are His children. We're a part of His family. John tells us in 1 John 3 and verse 2, now we are the children of God. That, that's who we are. We are His children. Hebrews says that we cry out, Abba, Father. Well, we're not under the old covenant. We're only one person, once a year, can go into the Holy of Holies. And then, you know, just in case God's displeased, tie a rope around their, their right ankle, and, you know, if the bell stops ringing, drag the body out. That, that's not the covenant we're living under. So any child that is born again can enter into the presence of Father God anytime they want, in the name of Jesus. So that's what we confess. Now, as John says, now we are the children of God. And what is our confession? That God is good. You know, so somebody comes to you and there's a bad situation. You, you don't break out all those stupid religious cliches. Oh, that's terrible. 
Maybe you deserve it. That's terrible. Maybe the Lord's teaching you something. Because see, to head down that road, you're not saying the same thing God says. You're not saying the same thing his word says. So what is our confession? That God is good. That he doesn't cause all things. Because there is a God of this world at work, stealing, killing, and destroying. So what do we say? What is our confession? That God is good. That he does not cause all things, but in all things, he is working good on our behalf. Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things. Why don't we say that? Say, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Well, you, you love the Lord, right? I mean, you're here on Wednesday night. You must love the Lord, right? So he's working good on your behalf. I don't feel like it. Well, <laughs> that's why you need to say the same thing the word says, that he, you love the Lord. And so in all things, he is working good on your behalf. You may not know how, may not know how it's going to work out, but that some way, somehow, God is working good on your behalf. What is our confession? Matthew 7, 11, if you then know, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So I, I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are giving good gifts unto me and good gifts unto our family and good gifts unto the families of Faith Christian Center. What is our confession? James 1:17. every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. So that, that, that's what we say, that, okay, it's terrible. But in this situation, God can bring about good. In this situation, God can bring about healing or restoration or a miracle some way, somehow. That's what we say. And that's the kind of thing that Jesus, our Lord, can say amen to. Not our bright ideas, not our opinions. We confess that our Father knows our every need. And he has made provision to meet every one of our needs. Matthew 6, verse 8, Jesus said, Your father knows what you need before you ask him. But we also know from the word we must ask. James 4, verse 2 tells us, You have not because you ask not. So then how did Jesus teach us to pray in Matthew 6? Matthew 6, verse 11, Give us today our daily bread. I've heard my father say that when John Osteen would teach on that, he, he would he would joke and say, well, it takes more bread today than it did yesterday. I know in our family that's true. It takes more of everything today than it did yesterday. So religion would have us believe it's wrong or it's selfish or it's unspiritual or unholy to pray for the meeting of your needs. Nonsense. We have not because we ask not. And our Father is good. And he delights in giving us good gifts. Amen. And every good and perfect gift is from above. So we ought to ask. We ought to ask without shame. We ought to ask without hesitation. We ought to ask in faith. And then we ought to believe we have received what we asked for. And, you know, we, we do this in our lives on autopilot. You know, just this week found out something wasn't working. Well, it's got to be taken care of. Lord sending the right person. They're going to come, not just on time, but early. They're going to do a great job. It costs what it costs, but the Lord is going to provide. Amen. It'll come in above and beyond. Amen. See, and when you 
build this into your heart and build this into your mouth and build this into your prayer life, it becomes your default. Instead of the negative being the default, saying what the word of God says becomes your default. And that's what Jesus can say amen to. And that's what he can bless. If you're in need, confess that every need is met with plenty left over. We all know Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply. How many of our needs? All of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's why pastor's always telling us to say the money is coming in. I may not have it right now, and it may not be here tomorrow, but it's on its way. The money is coming in. This is how Paul could say that he knew what it means to be amply supplied. I love 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Why don't we say that? Say, I have everything I need. In all things, at all times, I have all that I need, and I'm abounding in every good work. Well, if you're abounding and you have all that you need at all times, abounding in all things, we ought to be happy. We ought to be joyful. If someone says, how's it going? We ought not say, let me tell you about all my troubles. And again, I think sometimes people misunderstand that. We live in a sinful, fallen world, and there are troubles to be overcome. There are circumstances to be overcome. There are works of the enemy to be overcome. There, there are people not doing right. It's those situations to be overcome. But that's why our Lord said, take heart, that he has overcome the world. And we find out in Revelation, how do we overcome? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. Well, is that the testimony of being in agreement with the world? Is that the testimony of being in agreement with this culture? Or is that the testimony of being in agreement with God and being in agreement with his word? So we say what the word says. What is our confession? Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What is our confession? Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do it immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you're giving me the desires of my heart. You know, and again, Thank you that in this situation, you're working good on my behalf, doing immeasurably more than all I can ask, think, or imagine. When there are challenges or circumstances, we confess, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We confess that our Heavenly Father hears us and answers us. If you're sick or facing a challenge in your physical body, confess that you are well, that you have been healed by the stripes of Jesus. If you feel weak, confess that you are strong, that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. If you're in need of wisdom, confess that you have the mind of Christ and the wisdom of God. You know, and these are things we pray by default. You ask our children in the car and the way to school in the morning. Yes, we pray Psalm 91 and thank the Lord for his protection. But every, every day I thank the Lord that my parents and all the staff here at the church and school that we all have the mind of Christ and the wisdom of God in every decision. I don't know how much of the mind of Christ and the wisdom of God Samuel needs in second grade, but I make all of our children a part of that praying. 
Thank you, Lord, that all of our children have the mind of Christ and the wisdom of God, and this young man is going to remember his homework and bring his backpack home. <laughs> Say what you want. Amen. Say what you desire. Amen. And this is so important. Why is our confession so important? Proverbs 6, verse 2, thou art snared. You know, and don't, don't picture... You know, and again, I know it's 2023. Don't let this offend you. You know, a mouse trap. Don't, don't picture some little mouse trap. Picture a bear trap. And picture a human being sticking their foot in a bear trap. Thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. Thou art taken captive with the words of thy mouth. Whose mouth? Your mouth. Proverbs 18, 21, we all know this. We all know this. But we need to remind ourselves sometime. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. That's why in this series you've heard my father say that if we're defeated in our prayer life, we're defeated everywhere. We could also say this, if we're defeated in our confession, then we are defeated everywhere. Here's a negative example from the Old Testament. Now this is a negative example. You can flip this around to the positive. Numbers 14, beginning in verse 28. And again, this was after the, the constant grumbling and complaining and rebellion and disobedience of the wilderness generation. Numbers 14, 28, tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. Now, this is a negative example, but in your life, you can turn this around for the positive. We've got a great testimony. We'll share soon about this. Verse 29, in this desert, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun, as for your children. And somebody might say, well, man, where's the grace and mercy of God? It's right here in verse 31. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. You see, when a, a minister my age stands up and says that someone who denied the faith is in heaven, what they're doing is they're rejecting God's word. Amen. What they're doing is they're saying that they're in agreement with this culture and this world and what they think will make people happy, and they're saying they're, they're in disagreement with God and with his word. I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. And why do so many people fail in prayer and fail in living the Christian life? Because they reject the word. And if you reject the word, you reject God. If you reject the word, you reject God. Because this is his word. This is his book. And our faith is the great confession, which is our saying the same thing are being in agreement. I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected, but you, your bodies, will fall in this desert. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies here in the desert. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community which is banded together against me they will meet their end in this desert. Here they will die. Now, this is a negative example, but you can turn it around to the positive, that when we 
say what the word says, that our heavenly father will bring his word to pass in our lives. That when we say what his word says regarding our family or your marriage or your finances or your work or your health, that he is quickening and strengthening your physical mortal body, then he will do the things we say he will bring to pass, he will bring to fruition in our lives, his word. So you can turn this around, instead of it being a negative in your life, you can make it a positive. So this can work for you or against you. Again, why is this so important? Proverbs 6, 2, thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. Thou art taken captive with the words of thy mouth. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Why is our confession so important? Mark eleven twenty three. Jesus taught us, he said, that we would have whatsoever we saith. That, that's Jesus. You, know, you might say, I, I disagree. I didn't like tonight. It's not me. It's what Jesus taught. It's his word. He said, we would have whatsoever we saith. I, I don't know about that confession business. I don't know about that confession nonsense. Blab it, grab it, name it, claim it. People can say whatever they want, but their confession is working for them or against them. And the default for most people and the default for too many believers is death. But instead of speaking death to your life and circumstances, speak life. And God's word has great power. And God's word has great light and life in it. So speak life to your life and circumstances, not death. Jesus said we would have whatsoever we saith. We'll have whatsoever we say in prayer and we'll have whatsoever we confess. And that's why it's not just a matter of praying the right thing. Don't pray the right thing and then two hours later negate your right praying with your negative confession. Confession is working for you, either in the negative or in the positive. If you don't like your harvest or don't like your circumstances, change your mouth and change your confession. Speak life to your life, not death. They that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Well, I want good fruit, amen? Not, not rotten fruit, not negative fruit, not spoiled fruit. I want the good fruit of God's word to be manifested in my life. Amen. So I've got to get into agreement with God. I've got to get into agreement with his word. I've got to say what he says. Amen. And what do I pray? I pray what his word says. Amen. And then I confess what his word says. And then I, in faith, according to Mark eleven twenty four, 24, I, once, once I've asked, once I've prayed, I believe I receive that his word is coming to pass in my life.